Hello, everyone, and welcome to Spilling Ink Live. We're always live now, but it's it's kind of a habit of mine just to say Spilling Ink Live. Uh, we are here on not our normal night. I think that it's a Thursday. I'm not actually sure what yeah, day it is okay, anymore. It's, it is Thursday. <laughs> yeah, it's Thursday forever now. Um, but I wanted to bring you some content because I know we're just all sitting around at home and not doing a whole lot except for watching The Tiger King on Netflix, which if you haven't watched The Tiger King, Come on, guys! Wild, it the, it's the stuff. it's the most glori gloriously American dumpster fire you will ever witness. Um, just <sighs> phenomenal. But <laughs> you're here, we're here. Um, yeah. Want to want to give a special thanks to our sponsor, Creative Edge Publicity, who makes it possible for us to have this wonderful video platform and for us to be able to produce our audio podcast. So thank you so much to Creative Edge Publicity. And I'm here tonight with my good friend Jesse. Jesse, how's it going? Hello, I'm doing good. Um, I'm doing good. I this was very last minute. <laughs> We were talking on Facebook an hour ago, and I was like, "Do you want to come on and just do some some reading?" Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I made myself look pretty, and I uh, said, "Sure, yeah, let's go." Um, That's all you need. I put on an actual shirt, so I mean, I put on this sweater that I call my mom's sweater because I feel like it's. The classic sweater that like every mom in like uh, some sort of movie or like a TV show like has on when it's like late at night and she, like her kids are like up something she's like into the kitchen she's like what are you kids doing like, so, <laughs> I can picture that I could totally it, picture that it's, uh, uh, my my wife has a lot of those sweaters um, and unfortunately they they don't fit me but they are pretty cute she's got a great collection so. yeah. <laughs> So we're doing we're doing poetry tonight, and I just learned that it's National Poetry Month. Were you messing with me about that, or is it? No, real? no, no. It's real. April is National Poetry Month. Uh, another reason I was born in April. Love it. Love it. <laughs> That's um, it's the greatest time of year, I think. Uh, next, like maybe the holidays. I don't know, but I still think April's pretty pretty popping. Spring break awesome. happens during it sometimes. <laughs> Not this year. We don't get a spring break. <laughs> you know. so, my, my, my kids had the nerve to ask me today, well, since they canceled school the rest of the year, when's spring break? And I'm like, are you kidding me, guys? Really? <laughs> you, know, you guys need to know why we're home. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know you guys have Facebook, like. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So why, why is poetry important to you? What, why, what do you love about poetry? Um, I don't know. I kind of, poetry kind of found me. Um, in English, in high school, I feel, they f I feel like they feed you lots of poetry. Um, it probably changes for every high school, but at least in mine, we dissected a lot of poetry my senior year for some reason. Um, and not just like short poems, like the Raven length poems, like four or five pages. Um, and I hated it so much. It was the most dull thing in the world to dissect like these uh these really old poems um but after i graduated i found uh slam poetry which is performance based so it's kind of like the blend of the two worlds that i really enjoyed which was uh writing like theater plays um and writing in general um 
And so I was like, I can tell these tiny little stories um, about my life or like why I'm sad um, and like make it like a big performance. Um, and so poetry just kind of found me and I have uh, kind of fallen in love ever since um, after I was like playing hard to get at first. But <laughs> I love it. I yeah. love it that you you actually had a little bit of a courtship there with poetry. That's yeah. that's cool. So, do you do a lot of the um, uh, performative type stuff with it? Uh, for the last, uh, I want to say eight months, um, I have gone to the monthly poetry slam that's held in uh, downtown Charlotte, um, which is close to where I live. Um, slam Charlotte is a branch of like the Blumenthal Performing Arts, um, and is the host to. Uh, poetry slam and it's awesome i love it and there's a great community there um and they've really made me feel welcomed which is the biggest thing it's i was really scared that i was not going to feel welcomed but everyone there was amazing and they were really encouraging so i came back and it's been awesome that's really cool that's yeah, cool and my uh, my father-in-law does a lot of performance type poetry and some of it is is rhyming some of it sounds really old-fashioned other others of it is i don't even know what you would call stuff with no meter or rhyme is that free verse is that what we call it? uh yeah free verse okay and and you know some of it's really really cool and a lot of it's about some of my kids which I, which i love so it's great but you know watching him go up there and perform is is one of the most terrifying things I mean, it's it's so frightening. The the people that can get up there and do that, I mean, I I don't even know. I mean, it's, uh, it's terrifying. I have choked like three different times, um, which has costed me um, like moving on to the next round of the slam every single time. Um, but rightfully so. Like I, I choked. Um, but yeah, it's 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 hard to do get up there and do that because it's like poetry is already super vulnerable. Um, but then to get in front of, uh, the way they do judges at Slam Charlotte is, uh, they, uh, pass out the, uh, these like little, uh, like flip boards with, uh, numbers on them, uh, like how they have that, like Walmart and stuff like that. Uh, and so, uh, they usually ask people who like have never been to one of these before. Mm-hmm. And then they have a calibrator poet, um, which they call the sacrifice, um, go up there, perform. And then the audience is like, judge that poem in there. Like, this is the base for like the kind of work that you're going to see here tonight. Like judge, this as a practice ground and then like go back onto the poets and wreck havoc. Wow. Um, <laughs> so like it's, you have to, it's literally luck of the draw to like, see if, your work is going to connect with an audience member or like a judge. And that's part of the thing too. Slam poetry is very much like a game. Like you have to like have a portfolio of poems at your disposal. So you can uh, kind of, your goal is to like get through all three rounds and win obviously. So it's like, you can kind of tell a story with the poems you choose for each round and uh, even like connect to different judges at different moments throughout rounds depending on like what you choose so it's really that part of it is really interesting and it's really fascinating to me um and i've started like studying it a little bit 
Well, it, it seems pretty exciting to me based on what I've learned from watching the end of the movie Eight Mile, um, where Eminem wins the final rap battle. So yeah. It, it all seems pretty exciting. I know that's not anything. I was like, it's not, <laughs> it's not quite like that. Um, but it is, it is, it feels that high stakes sometimes because it's like, because I'm also like up against some really amazing people in my area. Um, two people that uh, used to slam at the um, slam that I, that used to perform at the slam I uh, go to, uh, they came back from the International World Poetry Slam last fall and were tied with another person who was not part of our local area um, for first place in the world. Um, wow. So it's like I've got very and two other people were like in the top 20. So it's like I've got very, very big competition in my area. And so for someone so new at performance based poetry, I'm like being fed to the sharks and then kind of fend for myself very quickly. Well, that's you've also got some amazing people to learn from. In yeah, the area yeah. Too, Huge inspiration. So I love going there because it always inspires me to go home and write. That's awesome. And it That's happens so late at cool. night, but like I'm up to like four or five in the morning sometimes. <laughs> well, you're going to be reading for us tonight, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. What, yeah. Are, what are you going to read first? The first thing I'm going to read is called No More Trophies. Um, this is all stuff that has yet to be published. Um, some of it is submitted out right now for a few different uh, publications and some contests, but... And I've read this one, and I know that I like them. So. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I've read this one. Um, I this is in a folder called uh, like my back pocket slams because it's like one of the things that I am supposed to know by heart, but it's also been a while since I've had to practice for one. So we're, we're not going to be judging you, so it's all good. But I am going to make you nice and big in the middle of the screen. Ooh. Uh, perfect. Thank you. <laughs> I keep hearing older people talk about how we give out too many trophies. Trophies for participating or coming in last place. Trophies for things they deem us not worthy of. I've decided I'm going to keep that same mentality when it comes to them then. Aunt Barbara, you no longer get a trophy for not calling me by my dead name at least. Uncle Tom doesn't get, to f doesn't get a trophy for not fondling his niece in hugs that last far too long. Neither does my brother Mark, for that matter, just because it doesn't call me a faggot when I leave the house in a pair of heels. Because they've all told me that doing the bare minimum doesn't deserve a prize. So I won't be polishing off awards for friends to use my pronouns. No more blue ribbons for my boss every time he tells me he doesn't care who someone loves. We are no longer crowning cishet women queens because we because our best friend is queer. Gone are the days where we celebrate white women for not using white feminism because Taylor Swift doesn't get a Lifetime Achievement Award for having basic representation in one music video. But you know who does get a trophy? Every single person who has had to congratulate, praise, and pat on the back those folks that feel they need recognition for things that are basic acts of decency. All the quiet black girls who have had to defend her peace. All the trans women who wake up two hours earlier than her cis counterpart to make sure nobody clocks her look. My sister, who at every social function keeps... <laughs> has to keep repeating at every social function that she simply doesn't like to be touched. So I'm asking that all of us that have given out awards for nothingness, please take back your trophies 
and tell the folks you took them from they can have them back when they've earned them. Because I know all of us have at least earned one, and all we had to do was participate. Participate in a society that called our cries for help, empty cries for attention. Hi. That's a, uh, that's a pretty intense way to start out. Yeah, um, I thought I would just get like really polarizing really quickly, just so that way everyone like I like it. blind opinion about me. I I I like it. I uh, I I feel like this one. You know, a, a lot of times poetry needs explaining. Um, you know, sometimes people are very deep um, and metaphorical in poems and. Um, not everyone understands poetry, and I, I think that's why it, it's tough for some people to read it. But I, I don't think that there's anything subtle uh, about this piece of poetry at all. No. Um, no. no. It, <laughs> it's a big, polished, shiny trophy. Um, it's it's a big middle finger shiny trophy, really. Um, I just, uh, it was kind of written after. Uh, Melissa Lozada Oliva's uh, like totally whatever. Um, and the whole thing is like, I'm kind of tired of people telling me how I should talk. And then I'm also really tired of people telling me like uh, that I should hand out these tiny, like empty gestures that really mean nothing. Um, be quiet, be polite, be grateful. <laughs> yeah, like, it's like, it's like y'all don't, it, people just don't match the same energy when they ask you to do other stuff. Um, and I thought it was kind of bullshit that they ask you for so many uh, chances and uh, attempts to not try. Um, empty apologies. So I was like, at this point, I kind of don't even want an apology. I just kind of want you to do what you're supposed to do. And if you do, great. If not, I don't know what to tell you. Well, and I, I think that, uh, you know, you, you called it a big shining fuck you, but I think that it also is a, uh, a little bit of a teaching tool for anyone who actually wants to listen. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's definitely that too. Uh, don't get me wrong. <laughs> it, uh, it definitely is a teaching tool of like we're like just there's not a few there's not a whole lot of examples in there but there are a few of them that's just like hey these are a few basic things that you just need to do you just need to make sure that you're not infringing on other people's rights or uh culture and you're pretty much set um from there and just don't be judgy just well, but, but that's the bare minimum right yeah, that's the bare minimum. That's all you have to do. And then the next, the next step after not doing all of that is being like actively not that. Like by going out and telling people, hey, it's not okay to do that. Just like you would tell like your child's like, don't pick your nose or like don't say a bad word. Like the same mentality that you drive into people with like basic manners and like basic uh, like hygiene issues people seem to have with washing their hands. Um, <laughs> Like those same things need to be taught, like about 
social injustices. Like, we need to talk about this stuff because it's not, in my opinion, it's not different, but other people may disagree. I I completely agree with you. And Amanda, thank you so much for, for commenting on here. Uh, Ama- Amanda has has got to come on this show sometime. I, I I love hearing from her. They aren't you of us. They've been right to tell you what to do and especially how to feel. Well, that's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Jesse, what's next on the agenda? I, I'm liking this so far. Um, I, I will let you choose uh, the next one. Oh, um, what, are, what are my two, options? You get two options. I'll read okay. the one you don't pick after, um, oh, okay. if we have time for it. Um, the first one is called The Towel, and the other one is called, I don't want to give the title because it's going to like, I feel like you're going to pick one over the other just quickly. Um, <laughs> is, it, but, is it one that you know I already like a lot? <laughs> no, it's just the title is really like, tell me more. Like, <laughs> uh, okay, okay, so you don't, don't, don't tell me the title then. I, I like this. This is like, it's not a double blind, but it's kind of a blind choice here. Pick All air. Right. A. Okay. Um, so we're going to read I Am Not Safe from Men Even When I Was One. Ooh. You're right. I totally would have picked that. Yeah, yeah. See, you're, you're not wrong. <laughs> it's engaging. It makes you want to say, wait, what? Um. I like titles like that. I, I, I want titles that pull people in. Well, I'm, I'm going to make you big again. <laughs> Sometimes when my, mother, when my mother dead names me, I can tell it's because she still sees me as a man. But when I first came out as queer and started dating, I thought she understood who I was. I thought that when she gave me the same advice about dating and being alone in a world full of men, that she was telling me she thought I wasn't one. She told me about making knives out of keys to turn marble knife-handed hero at the sound of footsteps close behind me, how the nose turns into a deadly weapon if I strike his hard enough, or that my house key would damage his eardrum bad enough for me to go find the help of a man who didn't want to kill me yet, to cover my drink when I'm not looking directly at it, that telling a man I have a boyfriend even when I don't is safer than saying no. Because the only time a man respects the fact that I'm not his property is when another man already owns me. Because even she even told me that I should always travel in a group at night. Told me that even though she thought I was a boy, that I should flock and flutter in a pack of people just to avoid becoming a target. Then I might still be a target, but only to a verbal violence. The only violence created by men that I will probably ever live through. But maybe some people don't live through it choose to make sad marks in their bodies so they, so that they were in control of how they went. I try not to care about what the world thinks of my body, but sometimes, but that's sometimes the only difference between me and the trans woman I see murdered in the news week after week is that I didn't dress up that day or that I was too lazy to shave my face and legs. That the reason I'm not on the list of names is maybe that I'm white or maybe that I'm just a faggot, but still a boy to some men. So I'm not worth killing off just yet. Let them destroy all the women who won't bend at the knee before they start taking out the men who won't either. But the ultimate truth is that I am not safe from men, even when they perceive me as one of them. That one day the people sitting that one day the people sitting before me will not see my name in a newspaper, and that might not be for my art. They might see me on page six in the obituaries, one probably written by my mother or my best friend. 
How me being alive was an act of defiance. How me being dead is proof of my screams. I'm sorry. That one is a mouthful, and my mouth got a little bit dry at the end. I understand. I understand. That was a... You know, I wish you would read something that had a little bit more feeling to it. um, That wasn't quite so understated. Um, You know, not so subtle. I really want you to jump out and grab us with something, you know? Um, I don't appreciate the sarcasm. <laughs> um, a lot of my work isn't, uh, isn't subtle. Um, I shouldn't say isn't flowery because I do sometimes use flowery language um, to describe things. But I feel like a lot of like traditional poetry is so like academic. And I feel like that creates barriers for people who don't have access to like that level of education for like numerous different reasons. Um, and like, it's something intentional that I try to do in my work is to try to make sure my language is accessible to people. Um, that's not using big words without giving some sort of context as to what they might mean um, or not making sure that I use things that would like, I don't want to say like, you don't want to confuse people. I don't want to confuse people. I know that with me being very radically queer, that sometimes like my identity or like some of my politics or whatever can be a little confusing for you uh, or some people, I guess. But for people with like a basic understanding of just people like me, um, artists like me who are creating this kind of work, uh, it's it's for them. Well, I, I think that there are two two key elements, especially in this one, um, relevance and um, oh shoot, I had the perfect word. Relatable is not the the right word, but um, gosh, man, I had a great word that meant like easy to understand. Um, what you were just trying to explain about you know, not using words that are so academic that they're inaccessible to the rest of us. Um, yeah. Because not all, not all of us have, you know, have a, a higher education or have, you know, literature backgrounds or poetry backgrounds. But, you know, having something that's relevant and also easy to read, I, I think, is important for um, to make it so that poetry can can be accessible to everyone, um, which is which is exactly what you just said. I pretty much just repeated it. So, but uh, no, I, I think that this um, this poem especially is an incredibly relevant um, right now where um, the, there, there's one line in this poem and, and I can't repeat it back to you perfectly, um, but it's um, about how maybe you didn't get murdered on that day because you were too lazy to shave your face and your legs. Um, which the first time I read this, because you, you sent this poem to me, I, I just, I kind of sat back a little and it, and it gave me a little bit of a start um, about just how fine that line could be for some people. Um, it's kind of frightening, actually. Yeah, um, it's it's a super scary uh, feeling, um, and I'm thankful um, because for some reason people choose not to mess with me. Um, 
I have no clue what it is. Um, I will say that I do travel in groups a lot when I uh, present a little bit more feminine um, or wear any like feminine clothing outside of my home. Um, I always travel in a group of at least two other people um, when that happens, just because like that, I, I live in the Bible Belt, so there are like people who aren't big fans of that. Um, I will say though, the first time that I ever got hassled for it was, um, I didn't come out till after high school. Um, so like, I didn't have to deal with a lot of it throughout that. But like, just after high school, I went to New York City um, because I was like treating myself for my birthday. Um, uh, and I would I had been saving up all year, but uh, I was getting onto a uh, train going to my hotel in Brooklyn. And this uh, guy was like trying to holler at me from behind and uh, I, I turned around and I guess he saw that like my face wasn't shaved or something like that. And he was like, oh, like he's tricking me um, or something. And so th that's like, it, it kind of made me super aware that like, oh, like I have to be careful about how I look where I go because like it's not always safe to go outside and be me. Have you um, and it's even worse for uh, like people of color who are trans um, who get harassed for far more systemic reasons besides the fact that they're queer and trans. Well, not so, just not just harassed. You know, let's. I mean, um, talk about people, getting people people of color are are, are killed. Yeah. Um, um, yes, and and that's a that's a, a horribly dark um, rabbit hole that I think that everybody probably should go down um, at some point here because I think it's important for you to know. Um, but do you do you think it's <laughs> we're 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 kind of going a little off uh, off the poetry topic here? Yeah, but, uh, sorry. You you um, no, don't apologize because you you mentioned that. Um, I think you said you were on a train in New York. Is that what it was? Yeah, yeah. I was in New York City for all okay. couple of weeks. I wasn't even at home. Okay. And and uh, you know some you know guy saw you from behind, wanted to holler at you, and you turned. And his reaction that was was that you were tricking him. And I, I think that it's interesting. Um, and all the the people that I've talked to on the Unafraid podcast, that um, kind of a common vein is that. Um, um, cis hat men kind of feel like a, a person's value, specifically women, is usually determined by their reaction to that woman. Yeah. Um, and it's really strange. It's, it's really quite strange. Um, I, the first time I saw, I understood like this, uh, this concept was I was in high school and there was a Twitter thread that I saw and it was a gay man talking about how men can control themselves around people that they're sexually attracted to. He's a gay man who was forced his entire life to uh, be around men in locker rooms and uh, changing stalls and uh, like even just at home, um, like with other men in the house and was like never would never even think to uh 
talk about these men the way some men would talk about women if they were put in the same situations with women. Um, so that's just what kind of got me started on that like train of thought and evolved since there. Well, I'm an excellent poem. Now I, I'm hoping that you will read is it the towel. Yes. Yeah. All right. Time. That's another really, uh, another title that I'm like, okay, where is this going to go? <laughs> this one is a uh, personal. Um, and while for me, I think this is a happy poem. Oh, um, okay. Well, that, that'll it's, be it's, nice. not, it's not necessarily going to leave you happy, but for me, it's happy because it's inspired by memories that I have of me being queer before I came out and before I really had words for understanding any of my identities today. Um, okay. I'm talking memories from when as early as like eight years old to stuff through high school. Um, and so this is a poem about uh, a towel. Okay. I think we all did it. After a shower or just getting out of the pool, we'd make sure the door was locked behind us or that nobody was home. And we'd use that towel. The one that kept us dry and warm. It dried our tears when we looked in the mirror with a head full of hair or an evening gown that our internal paparazzi shot up for ages. The first time I did it, I was eight. I wanted to feel pretty in the bathroom mirror. I dropped the towel over my head, twisted it into a solid rope like I had seen the girls do in the movies or watched my mother do it as she multitasked while drying her hair in it, flipped it over the back of my head and draped it against gently into the front of my left shoulder. I had never felt more beautiful in my body before that moment. I had never felt closer to my sisters before that moment. I had never really felt the shame, the same guilt build in the bottom of my belly quicker than the next moment, because in that next moment, my father walked in to see if I needed help drying off. I told him I was drying my hair like mommy, and he told me that I don't need to do it like mommy. I didn't try that again for a while. When I say a while, I mean that I didn't try it again until the next night. And maybe not every night after that, but only when I knew it was safe. And only when I wanted to see this version of myself, this confident, older, loud, proud, truer version of myself that couldn't be there for younger me, I started having my favorite towel. And one time I used a towel so many times in one week that it started to smell. And when my mom found it hanging to dry in my room and could smell it from five feet away, she carted it away to be washed. And when you live in a house with as much laundry as we did, it meant your laundry was a lot like Amazon Prime. You knew you'd be getting it, but it was going to be after 11.30 a.m., so the best they could do was two-day shipping. So I say that these moments in the bathroom were life-saving. And I say that maybe if I, told, if I had been told I could be whoever I wanted to be and my parents had meant it, I might not have been hospitalized my fourth grade year. It means that maybe I wouldn't have missed an hour of school every Friday morning to go to therapy. I could have been able to focus on my studies or not how anxious I am that everyone was going to find out my secret. Like maybe I wouldn't have had to keep it a secret. Like maybe my, the parents in the room aren't listening to me when I tell you that no matter how much you love your child or beat your child because there's a difference between the two or try to teach them that it's wrong, they're still going to end up being gay or trans or bisexual, or any other letter of the damn alphabet they please. And if you can't love them like that, then you shouldn't be a parent, and you shouldn't buy towels. 
That's beautiful. Thanks. Beautiful. It, I understand it is happy. I mean, that's... I mean, it is. It's a really happy poem for me because um, I was really happy when I wrote it, um, even though I do talk about, like, some guilt and shame surrounding it. Um, but... I've had the, the privilege of, of hearing your story, though, since you were very, very young um, on the other yeah. side. So I, I, I understand this poem very well, and I understand why it's happy. That's a, a really cool thing, you know, and, um, you know, I, I know this is this is not the Unafraid podcast. This is Spielberg. Yeah. And, but, and, and so if, if people are listening who are a little weirded out by um, hearing about your issues, yes. well, yeah, go somewhere else or learn something. That's that's it's all good. But yeah, yeah. you know, we you know my my household is a uh, is a, a big old queer household. <laughs> I mean, almost everybody in my family identifies as queer in some way. And um, something really sad happened this this uh, last school year. And um, you know, not sad compared to some things that happen and some people's stories, but, you know, my, my youngest daughter and uh, some of her friend group are, they all identify as, you know, queer in, in some way and they're their own little really cool friend group. And um, unfortunately, the parents of one of these children um, found that out and uh, immediately pulled them from, from school and to a school that hasn't been disclosed to them any of us because they didn't want that contact to persist. But um, I think that, you know, what, what you said towards the end of that poem, there is no, no matter what you say or do to your child, um, it's not going to change who they are at their core. If your child is, is gay or bisexual or trans, they're going to still be gay or bisexual or trans, whether you change schools or beat them or take them to church two more times a week, it doesn't matter yeah, at it, all. It, it just means one of two things is going to happen. Your child is going to become very sneaky or your child is going to become very, very depressed. And uh, it is likely that you will lose your child in one of two ways. You just won't talk to them for the rest of their life or uh, they won't have a rest of their life. Um, and it's just, it's a very real reality that I think a lot of parents need to wake up and realize. Um, it's scary, and uh, it, it, I think really scary. It, um, it is, but you know, and and parents out there, you know, as scary as it might be for you, it's a lot scarier for your kids because all they want to be is loved by their parents. Yeah, that's, that's, that's all that's they want. <laughs> they just so just love them and and yeah. and be happy that you have a, a healthy kid. That's all that really matters. So uh, yeah, well, I I think that we've uh, we've we've had a fun little reading tonight. Did you want to yeah. do one more? Yeah, yeah, I'll do, I'll do uh, one more, okay. and I'll do one. With, I'll do uh, one out of my last book, um, one that is really happy, actually, one that's actually happy, um, <laughs> unlike, uh, and it's it's short too, so it's great to end things with. Well, let me make you big here. This one is called Pop. Um, my emotions are like champagne. Not the kind everyone calls champagne, but isn't. Mine are the real thing. My emotions are the kind from a special vineyard in France where the sun hits the grapes just the right way. When shaken, they bubble and expand. When put rest, the drink grows flat. What I used to hate about my body is that it felt like this bottle. Like it was a bad thing to pop off the cork. Like opening up like I do broke the party noise in the wrong way. And I know that I can pop 
cork off my bottle, and the sweet nectar called feeling flow from my soul and satiate those around me. I was told by a special young woman, my emotions are like champagne, because others get to see the beauty of them when others get a taste. It's a gift. I was waiting for a wicked twist at the end. <laughs> no, no, I told you I was going to surprise you um, with a, a really dark and uh, like teachable uh, <laughs> stanza. I, I like it. I like it a lot. Something happy is uh, a poem about a compliment that I got. That's awesome. No, and we need those. Goodness, especially after the heavier stuff, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, can you? Um, can you explain to everybody where they can get your poetry that's available for purchase right now? You can get this book here. It is called No More Corks. Um, Let me big, make it big. There we go. It's called No More Corks. Uh, it was written by me, and there are some illustrations in there um, that were drawn by a local artist, Savannah Crawford. She's awesome. And the uh, Cover here was painted by a, a good friend of mine who's an artist as well. Um, and they can get it on at lulu.com, um, L-U-L-U.com, and just look up the title, No More Corks by me, Jesse Weir. Okay, awesome. And is, so one of my favorite poems of yours was yeah. the um, uh, Dress for Dancing. Yes. Is that yeah. is that in the going to be in the new one or? Um, that's maybe in the new one. That's one of the ones I've been uh, hassling over whether or not I'm going to include it in this collection. Um, <laughs> only because uh, just the direction I think that it's taking, I'm not sure about it yet. So okay. it's, it's right. it something that's new, but also maybe the same, but just expanded. So okay. it's, well, it's a fantastic like, poem. So. Everyone who is watching and everyone who will watch and listen, thank you so much for thank joining. Thank you so much. Yeah, a, this has been fun. And uh, now we can go back to quarantining on the couch, doing whatever else. Yeah, you're doing. I'm going to get to finish Killing Eve, finally. Oh, nice. I think we're watching a, uh, we're watching a documentary on, um, on a doctor who, oh, man, it's fascinating. It really is. So it's this doctor who um, who delivers these babies, told the moms that they were stillborn or they died somehow, but then sold the babies to people. So, oh my God, it's fascinating. No. That's <laughs> yeah, right? All right, everybody. Good night. Take Good care. Good night. Stay in your homes. <laughs> I hope this corn